Hello and welcome back to another episode of Honey, Are You Happy? Now today I'm joined by Laura Phelan, therapeutic coach and healer who helps women heal their self-image so that they can create the life they truly desire and feel at home in themselves. Laura's work is truly inspiring. I came across her profile back in 2019 and realized she also volunteers for VEAT, the UK's leading eating disorder charity, and connected with her over an event that I was running in my hometown. Laura and I quickly became friends and I've stayed in contact with her ever since and I've always wanted to get her on to speak about her own journey and the work that she does now with women. So it's a really interesting listen guys, in this episode we delve into her recovery story, the role of choosing recovery, self-identity, spirituality and so much more. So grab a cuppa, get comfortable and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the podcast Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you on. I feel like this has been a long time coming as well. Um, yeah. I think we first crossed paths quite a few years ago um, mm. when you just kind of, you were, you were in Harley Street doing um, yes. private coaching and you were mm-hmm. working for Beats as well, volunteering for Beats as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, I came across you then. It's been actually really, it's been really wonderful seeing your, not just your career, grow but mm. yourself and I know that um you. you've kind of taken little twists and turns your journey's just been like really phenomenal and quite humbling to to follow it's been very thank authentic you. so um for anyone who a hasn't, lot. thank you yeah for anyone who hasn't come across Laura's um content online it is very authentic and it is it's it's really refreshing to see um so hugely recommend checking it out um but would you mind just telling us a bit about what you do and kind of like how you got to where you are today yeah definitely so I'm 30 now so let's say I'm really bad at maths I never got a maths GCSE 16 years ago I or 16 17 years ago my god I I essentially was in the depths of an eating disorder so I guess my my first rebirth or dark night of the soul happened very young so I was 13 when I went through that experience and that for me Mm -hmm. manifested as anorexia um you know, as, as Joss will, I'm sure, speak about loads on this podcast, eating disorders are so complex and so far and wide. And and that is not the only one that exists, but that is what I uh, had at that point. And I guess I look back now and, you know, my adult self understands what a crisis of self that was, what an inner child experience that was. And it was really the start of, of everything I now know my life to be. Um, so it's almost like a, it was a metamorphosis. It was the beginning of everything for me. So as dark and as painful as that was, I I guess I want to shed light on that because I think eating disorders and the recovery space, you probably agree with this, Joss, can be very um, depleting and very uh, dark. And, and almost, I almost have this sense that it can kind of keep us sicker if we are too much in that space of it. And I think for me, the most um, healing thing has been realizing that that identity does not need to define me anymore and that it is something you can truly move through to the other side. I I actually don't believe you live with an eating disorder forever, which a lot of people argue. so yeah, that was that was my journey, and it was it was very painful. It was you know it was near, nearly at death's door. I remember my turning point being, um, I was fourteen and I was in Ireland with family, and I, I one of my young cousins, she must have been four or five, had you know was 
essentially begging me to eat something like a child that's how bad it got and people didn't recognize me I could barely walk at that point you know mentally I was just I guess not there by that stage you know the starvation on the brain is a very serious thing so that was also my turning point it was the turning point where I realized at that young age that this could kill me this could be the end if I didn't fight if I didn't decide to try and recover and so I did. And I guess, like I said, that was the start of everything else because that journey, and as I know you know well, is so uncomfortable. It is so, it is so awakening to the depths of yourself. And I think to go through that at such a young age has really shaped me. Um, I've done work on myself since then that I, I work with clients in their 30s and 40s. I've never even begun, right? Because you have to go into your body image and your thought processes and your trauma to really heal. So that journey really led me into my work now. So I remember kind of graduating from uni, not around the age of 19. I was going traveling. I was in my first relationship, all of these things. And I remember <laughs> being in a little buggy thing in the... Um, Peru somewhere and I remember being like oh my god this is the first time since my eating disorder you know six years prior that would have been that I have felt okay in my body that I've let go of the control of food I'm not obsessing about exercise I'm present I'm living I'm in freaking South America and I was like I never thought I was going to get here like I never thought it was possible and so that was the shift into I need to find a way to give back. I need to find a way to share this with women. We don't have to suffer. We don't have to be in pain. We can be, you know, at peace with our bodies, at peace with food, at peace with who we are. And so that was the start. Uh, I came back from South America. I started volunteering with Beat, who, my God, I've been a volunteer for them for like, for like 10 years. <laughs> that's wild. Um, that's yeah, that, that's where it all started. I worked a lot in schools and then I started, I went back to um, train as a therapeutic coach and an eating disorder specialist originally. Um, that is now branched out a little bit more into the work of self-image and a lot more around mindset and core beliefs and really helping women step beyond self-acceptance and really into their power and really into their truth and who they want to be and what they want to do and removing all the fear and blocks that stop them doing that so um yeah and that takes me to now where I work predominantly online I used to work in Harley Street pre-COVID I work online I run events workshops I run moon circles once a month here in Brighton where I lived yeah I you lived. have to say more about that because <laughs> yeah. I saw that and I was it's like what is a moon circle Ah, so I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very into the moon astrology, I'm quite a spiritual person. And I really like to work with the energies of the moon. And I think, you know, the moon controls the water. So it, it has a power over us. And so I gather with 10 to 12 women each month, I co run it with my friend who's a hypnobirther and Reiki healer. And we, we just gather and we bring in whatever the energy is of the month. So this month it's a Capricorn, but Cancer Moon. So it's a lot about grounding and introspection and finding home within yourself um, and slowing down. So we'll be bringing in the energies of that. And we do guided journaling. We do sharing. Um, we do some tarot cards, some movement, a sea swim. And it's really just a place to come and be and bring all of yourself and bring all of your fears and bring all of your emotions and be held and express it all and come out feeling just free and released and like you can move forward. So yeah, doing a lot more in-person work these days, which is really on my heart. Um, and yeah, I think, I hope that answers your question. I live in Brighton. 
I have a dog, I'm a dog mama. I love traveling. I'm a Leo, star sign. And so I'm, a Gem- I'm a Gemini, okay? We love a Gemini. So, so what does that mean? <laughs> My best friend is Gemini. Uh, Gemini, some of the qualities of Gemini are really interesting. It's a lot about like two two parts and like two halves of you. Um, <laughs> but it's it's a good it's energy. Good. It's a really like beautiful grounding energy. And um, yeah, it's, it's a good sign. I'm not an yes. astrologer, so I don't want to take the no, role of an astrologer. Yeah, yeah. It's something I'm I think, into. <laughs> I think my partner would probably say the two sides of me are sugar or shit. Like, which one are you going to get today? <laughs> I love that. It's balance. Um, yeah, it's balance. Like, that's really cool. And I think, oh my gosh, I wish I lived in Brighton now so I could go to a... a, a no, like a, where do a you live? Guildford, so just outside London. Oh, that's not far. Yeah. Come, it's on Wednesday. It's not, it's not far at all, is it? Oh, it's in, um, it's um, in the evening time as well. Oh, if anyone's it? listening and they ever oh. want to come, it's... They always start at seven forty-five, finish at nine fifteen to nine thirty. So we finish with the moon. Oh, incredible! That yeah. sounds regular. Um, what would you say, like looking back at your kind of recovery journey, were there any kind of like pinnacle turning points for you? Mm. I know you spoke a lot about the inner child and kind of um, mm. coming to grips with maybe that part of you that was hurting. Or um, what would you say were like kind of the big um, yeah, turning points for you? I think one of the biggest turning points for me in that journey was was realizing that there can be you know you can get all the help in the world all the therapy all the coaching all the dietitian or whatever your support was at that point unless you want to change nothing will change unless you want to dig deep and go through the discomfort and sit through the stuff that you've been trying to escape through your eating disorder unknowingly or not you won't recover and you have to be willing to do it again and again and again the thing with an eating disorder is we've got the very habitual um ritualistic side and then we've got the deeper side that where it's attached to trauma and beliefs and things like that so you kind of have to work with both you have to be doing all the inner work but you can't do the inner work and not face the fears around your fear foods or you know challenging yourself and then how you act on a daily basis so you really have to be willing to to show up every single day for as long as it takes to really recover otherwise i will you'll find and a lot of my clients kind of sit in this area now that kind of disordered eating patterns they'll remain you might not have an eating disorder forever but you will still struggle with food in some way or another mm-hmm. um and you're in your image and i think that genuinely can be removed if you do the work in a way that allows you to cover all of those areas and move through that. Definitely. And would you say that's what you, with your own coaching, is that kind of like the package mm. that you kind of look at is actually how to push through that kind of um, stage yeah. to actually get to like full freedom? Yeah, it, it really is. And I think when I first started this work, I was much more kind of working with people in the early stages. And it was still the transition though, because I mean, my personal view is that the eating disorder kind of treatment standard treatment is very outdated it's not working because it's not working it's very dehumanizing it's very clinical it very much looks at the eating disorder not the person whereas I'm on a, I want I'm working with the person the human I'm not working with the disorder I'm bringing the human out and up and quieting that down so if you're working with someone to help them heal you have to be looking at who they are what their desires are, what their fears are, what the traumas are, what they really want, what's their purpose, 
You have to build all of that identity around that to really heal. If you just work on facing a fear food or being able to be okay in a bikini, you barely scratch the surface of what is actually really needing to shift for you to have true peace and strength in who you are. And so when I work with people, that's what I'm helping them push through, the core and the root, not the symptoms that present to the world. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And I, I completely agree. I think, you know, the model of treatment we use, firstly, it's impossible in, in the current kind of climate of the NHS mm. as well. Um, mm. the lack of funding and just mm. long wait times to actually get a diagnosis or get treatment, especially if you're not at that kind of magical number on a magical BMI. And then secondly, finding more and more of the treatment people are getting in the inpatient settings just isn't working or, you know, it's very focused on the physical. And I, I get it there. You know, it's a physical health setting. It is a clinical setting. But really, you know, it's a mental health problem. You want to stop people coming back long term and actually reduce yeah. the spending um, and from an economic standpoint. It does make more sense to invest more into that kind of the, the therapeutic and who the person is and person centered care and trauma informed care. Um, yeah. I think a lot of the things that people go through in hospitals re-traumatizes and it's completely at like actually you know what has this person been through to even get them to the state that they need to be exactly. moved far from home and and refed somewhere away from their family um yeah I think there is there's lots that needs to be be changed I think one of the things that I come up against with my own um I do coaching on the side and with um mm. kind of uh people I've worked with even through beats is mm. the kind of anxiety around changing behaviors and it seems mm. a lot of the conversations I have are cycles and people want to change um so say it's like someone can't stop pacing all day and they want mm. to change their behavior and they know that moving forward would help them but they just can't break through that initial anxiety and I guess like that happens with any ritualistic behavior we have in eating disorders, but calorie counting, over-exercising, whatever it may be. Um, what would you say are like the best ways to kind of challenge anxiety or sit through discomfort? So when I do this with clients, I do it in two ways. I do a lot of um, sort of somatic work. So going into the body, turning in wood. So one of the exercises I do is I get someone to lean into say say their discomfort is is like I don't know just like fear I'll get them to like see the fear in their body look at it as a color look at it as a shape and breathe through it until it dissolves so that's a very good way of actually doing it from a quite like a somatic sense and like your nervous system the physical sense though with anything like this until you challenge it the anxiety won't go away and so I would do this in stages. It's a brick by brick approach. You know, if you weigh yourself every day, I'm not going to tell you to stop weighing yourself cold turkey. I'm going to say, can you stop weighing yourself twice a week to begin? Then we go to three times a week. Then we reduce it down and down and down and down until the level of anxiety you get around the behavior is able to work with your nervous system and you'll start seeing the benefits. And I guess a lot of, again, eating disorder treatment, when someone gets very critical, it's very, you know, all or nothing. And it's a lot better if we can do things in a way that allows us to actually work through the feelings and the process of, of reducing the anxiety around these behaviors. People think that weighing themselves and mirror checking is reducing the anxiety. It's not. 
the anxiety it's it's more like it's like when you get a like on instagram it's dopamine you're getting a, a hit that's not releasing anxiety releasing anxiety is not to feel compelled to check that number yeah so i would do a combination of yeah like the inner work what's going on in the body the nervous system and then matching that to challenge the behaviors step by step yeah I love that. I love kind of like the integration of the nervous system as well, because when we feel something, whether it's anxiety or you know, yeah. fear or sadness, it is a whole physiological response. And, you know, the way that we self-soothe is by, you know, the grounding techniques we use and things like that do regulate our nervous system. So it's kind of bringing it back to the fact that actually, like, your body is doing its best to survive. And yeah. yes, it wants to do that behavior to kind of make it feel safe. But actually, you can find a different way to make yourself feel safe without utilizing a behavior that, you know, carry, could continue your eating disorder. I love that. Something I do, I don't know if you ever do this with your clients as well, is, is to try and like, I tell my clients to see that anxiety as their eating disorder. Often mm. people don't know what they're fighting against. And mm. sometimes I think it can really help to be like, when you feel that urge, that is the very thing <laughs> that you need to say no to. Because um, mm. otherwise it can be quite hard to, differentiate what is actually you and what is you know what is what Joss wants to do or you know and what is actually what the eating disorder wants you to do um yeah and it can be quite I don't know if you found this in your own recovery at, at some points it could be quite messy to know what is you and and you know yeah what is your eating to separate disorder. it yeah. yeah totally that are there any self-care practices that you utilize today that kind of maintain your recovery mm. I mean, in terms of like, maybe we can reframe that for me to just like maintain my like healing and well-being. I guess that might make more sense in this context because I guess my relationship with food or my eating disorder doesn't really feel like something that's present at all. Yeah. But what I do to take care of my mind and my mental health and everything. Um, yeah, there's a few things. Um, cold water really helps me. So I'm a big sea swimmer all throughout the year. If I can't see swim my cold shower, it really works for me. I also have ADHD, which I found out last year, which many people I'm sure in the eating disorder space will also have. It's a big, it's a big crossover. Yeah. So that's really good for me to quiet the mind, to get into the body, to still everything, to get focused, um, movement. And obviously you, if you're in eating disorder recovery, you do need to be very mindful of your relationship with movement. My relationship with movement is very much correlated to how it helps me function, my energy, how it sets me up for the day. And I do everything from like Pilates to yoga, to boxing, to salsa. Like I'm very fluid. There's no sort of, um, there's no routine as such. I just move because it feels good. And that's important. Um, journaling, introspection. I do a lot of meditation, a lot of, a lot of dropping from my mind into my like heart and my soul. And, and a lot of people might not resonate with that, but the best way I can describe it is if you could turn off fear, if you could turn off your ego and the ego will sound like um, she has better than me or I'm never good enough or, um, you know, everything bad happens to me. That, that's like the ego, the fear. And you drop it to the heart, where you start to get to is, you know, this is my own timeline. Um, how they look has no correlation on, on how I look. Um, their success only means that my success is more possible. You know, you get to the truth of like your higher self, essentially. So I do a lot of work just connecting to her every single day. 
um, because it's so easy to live in the stories that harm us and sabotage us. Um, and I also live and experience joy. Like, you know, I go to salsa classes and I, I've seen my friends loads and I'm always out in the sun and I do a lot of walks and I just try and, you know, live and breathe what makes me feel good and create space to work through the many life challenges that will continually arise so that when they do, I don't default into any behaviors that might feel harmful. I love that. That's so good. I really like the idea of kind of getting out of the ego as well. I yeah. think that's such a trap that we can all get stuck into without even realizing it. Because so often yeah. we get so carried away with our thoughts and we don't even try and take mm. like, um, I, uh, what's it called inventory of them or what we're thinking we just kind of roll with it and those comparisons happen whether it be you're out in public at work is a big one for yeah. me in the psych field is so hugely competitive and it's yeah. it's so easy to get caught up in like yeah. just carried away with them to actually drop back into yourself and your heart and mm. just kind of remember yourself and really it's a bit like cbt and kind of like counteract them and like twist them around to to give you yourself affirmations as well um mm. I really like that as a technique I'll probably start using that cold showers yeah. is something I haven't got on board with yet I tried um my partner does yeah. cold showers every day and um <laughs> I'm a I can like put a hand in like splash my face a bit I mean warm stuff <laughs> is also really good the hot and the cold oh, together um and and <laughs> each to their own each to their own like yeah. there's there's no point forcing it it needs to feel good yeah I think it'd be different if it was like a lake I could dive in because once you yeah, know there's I mean it's so much nicer like being in yeah. nature is half of that experience a cold shower yeah. you're not getting any experience around it you're just getting the benefits of the cold for your parasympathetic nervous system you're not getting yeah. the like ethereal feeling of like being in the water yeah Now I'm going to really interrupt this episode for just a moment of your time to remind you that if you're enjoying what you're listening to today, please click follow and rate this show. It really supports the free content that I produce for you online. Also, if you are struggling with your eating behavior or your exercise behavior and you want to take your relationship with self to the next level, then please don't put off what you could start today and head on over to the show notes, click that link for a free call with myself and let's get to talking about how to improve your health and happiness. That's all from me guys. Now, without further ado, let's get straight back into this episode. And I'm actually interested to know if you know anything else about ADHD and related mm. disorders, because I oh recently, God, yeah. like you, got my diagnosis earlier this year, okay, which same. then made so much sense to me. Right. Um, but also, I made me kind of feel like, ah, oh, because often I found myself questioning a bit like you, if I don't move in the morning, mm. be that a walk out in the park or, you know, lifting weights or boxing is one thing I love, or dance. I started pole fitness early in the year. Love. If I don't do something, I don't focus. Like my brain yeah. has 50 tabs open. I can't sit still. And I always yeah. used to beat myself up thinking that was still my eating disorder until I got the diagnosis. And I was like, it makes so no. much sense. Um, but it's interesting that it does have links with eating disorders. Huge. Um, if you think about ADHD, um, the big part of it's fixation, right? So the 50 tabs are open. And I think with an eating disorder, it can 
it can quickly manifest because you're hyper fixating on something, which we're very good at. Um, but also it's, it's the way in which you start to kind of ritualize things, right? Um, hyper, you know, obsessing on them. It's very easy for us to like get lost in things like that. And then also because our minds can run a million miles an hour, they can ruminate. It's very easy to tip over into that obsession and into that, that narrative. Um, so once you're able to kind of understand that and work with your mind, an eating disorder is a mental battle. So you, you can already kind of see how much more relief there'll be once you understand how to quieten the mind, whether that's through medication, whether that's through, you know, somatic practices, therapy, like meditation, unless you understand, I guess, the link between, um, it, it can, I think, just worsen everything. And there's even a lot of things around like sensory issues with food, taste. Um, you know, even when I was little, I had really weird things around smells and tastes and stuff with food. So there's a lot more of that where um, non-neurodivergent um, people won't really experience. So we tend to just have a different experience with food and our image all around. You know, the ADHD brain can be very critical. It can be very, very again, hyper-focused. We struggle with things like sensitivity, rejection, dysmorphia. We experienced very big highs and lows emotionally. And all of this, it is a chemical imbalance, you know, if you want to call it that, like our prefrontal cortex doesn't work in the same way. Now, the beauty of it is the creativity and the the way in which we can communicate and talk. And that's what makes great coaches and podcasts. Like, that's why we all do this work because we literally can't do things that we don't enjoy. Yes. We, we, <laughs> right. So there's the kind of flip side of it and it's learning how to channel it. And it's learning that now it's not like, oh, if I have a bad thought, it's just my ADHD. But a lot of it is. A lot of it is my ADHD going, oh, da, 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 da. and then it's like, right, let's quieten that let's get past the mind in here what's actually going on yeah. um and I think that's the beauty in diagnosis is that you a lot of people you know oh you don't want to get attached to a diagnosis but also if it's something that's harming you it's just helpful to understand and you can just work with it I'm a lot more self-compassionate I'm a lot more um I work to my strengths you know if I'm with my business coach he's aware how my brain works and that's so important as a business owner especially you need to understand that your your brain is going to need certain things to focus more and, and whatnot so I think it's just um once you understand how it may be impacting things like your eating habits your image etc and your mindset um that can really determine I guess how that recovery process could look for you yeah amazing I, I do wish that I'd had my diagnosis earlier maybe during treatment just to help yeah, me right. kind of like understand a little bit more about how I worked and it does make a lot of sense because I was a little arse at school like I just didn't mm -hmm. like I hated school I, <laughs> I didn't like learning until it was on my terms at university because yeah. that made it's impossible sense. yeah and even and it, um even impulse control as well which is probably a good thing to note so binge eating disorder and ADHD I think is the biggest um <clears throat> like what's the word link, uh, link uh, yeah, because right. if you have ADHD and you forget to eat all day you're then craving loads of food and and like so there's a lot around nutrition nutrition ADHD is really important um and then autism and anorexia there's meant to be a bigger link interestingly enough but everything's yeah. a spectrum in a scale so yes
that's crazy and definitely when I was in my um like early kind of well, you know like eight nine ten and early teens um I had the opposite where I would hoard lots of food and nighttime mm, eat and now I can yeah. go back and see like the sensory side of that as well yes. and also because of like maybe the lack of dopamine but also the Haribo that I was hoarding and stuff like the sugar rush and yeah. the kind of buzz that that gave me um it's yeah it's really interesting to see how like eating habits really linked in with with that and that hyper focus on food as well and you know fixation on things which probably meant that I was more susceptible to developing an eating disorder than someone who just started starts diet you know my diet was probably more likely to go wrong um as that's how my eating disorder started was mm. as a diet but it's probably that fixation and that really high mm. vigilance on things which meant it just escalated and escalated mm. and escalated as well it's really interesting yeah now you now say on social media that you call yourself a, like a therapeutic coach and a healer uh, could mm. you just explain a little bit more to people who don't have your background like um, yeah. what does that mean and, and how does that work differ from say if I was going to go and get a coach or a therapist yeah so I mean classic that I had to hybrid it classic ADHD right and like couldn't couldn't pick <laughs> couldn't focus so for me my original training was as an eating disorder specialist so that was a very clinical um set of training with the national center for eating disorders you know it's um associated with the bps and it's very i guess very standardized model very cbt based but also um you know, a, a lot of work around like getting into the psyche and stuff in, in that way. That was my original training. And that was really, really beautiful for the start of my career. But there wasn't much in there around like kind of the holistic, I guess, ways of healing. And what I found as well, is that with therapy, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate for anything you can get your access to if it's mind stuff. Therapy and counseling only serves a purpose so much because for me, we, we all, any space holder needs to be looking at how you can move forward. We don't want to be re-traumatizing. We don't want to be re-triggering. We don't want to be keeping people stuck in the emotion. We need to help them become their own coach slash therapist to move through it. So therapeutic coaching um, was a program that I found. It was just pre, oh God, no, very long time ago now. I was very blonde when I did it. So it was a very long time. But the idea of it, it's the it's a fusion model. There's actually, I think that I believe the first degree in this has just been introduced around therapeutic coaching and it's the combination so you have the tools of therapy you know person-centered counseling um trauma space holding and understanding things like cbt thought rewiring all that stuff but then the coaching model i work with to move forward and to actually create change so it's a really beautiful um combination of allowing the space to be there for the person to go through what they need to and have that space held but in a way that is always about moving forward to to change and create change and the healing aspect of that is is really just been i think my own development so adding in visualization and meditation somatic practices i do some tarot reading um and really just holding the space for for the spirit to come through for the spiritual elements for the idea that the universe does work with us and we are part of it and you know that's not for everyone but for me it has been by far 
the biggest, most positive impact on my healing journey to know that we are here for a greater purpose. We are a soul within a human body because that drops us so much into freedom and truth. You know, it takes us so much away from the ego and the fear and the timelines and the comparison when we know that we are so infinite and expansive just as a being. So that's where the kind of healing um, aspect draws into that. Have you ever had the tarot readings? Have you ever had any readings that have really like stirred you or like been a little bit like, oh, like you weren't expecting Personally or with my clients? Personally. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I had a psychic reading a couple of weeks ago with, um, it was to connect me to my ancestors and spirit. And it was, it was mad. Like it was so accurate. It was so specific. He knew nothing about my life. And I also know that unless you're open, these things don't work. um necessarily but yeah I've I've had many many and not always and everything's a pinch of salt you you are your truth you don't you can't always outsource that stuff but I just think that sometimes when we are so connected to things you know it's just an extra way to connect back to feel aligned to feel like we're on you know we're living our purpose to to kind of know who we are so yeah i just think that side of things can just give us so much peace and freedom and if you go back um back back this was the first way that we used to heal the original medicine that we had in this planet was not inside a hospital connected to a machine it was hands and it was earth and it was all like that's how we that was medicine. That was the yeah. pharmacy industry. And I think there does need to be more hybridity in that. Yes. And I'm interested to know like how, because I don't, this is completely, I'm, I'm a novice yeah. here. How do tarot cards work? Like what is the kind of principle behind them and, and what are they for? So there's different ones. So I have many different packs. They've all been gifted to me. Um, so you've got like your classic tarot, which you'll see a lot of readers on Instagram that work with um, there's different houses and and kind of things like that. And then you've got, you've got angel cards that are more like gentle messages. You can have more specific cards, like I've got a goddess pack. And really you can just, you can ask them a question, you can pull them randomly, you can journal with them. And they're just there to act as a little bit of faith, as a little bit of inspiration, as a little bit of connection to to another way of understanding things. And I think for people that maybe don't believe in that, that's so fine. But I would encourage you to think about things in your life that have happened that made no sense, that were so synchronistic, the people that you've met, the places you've been in, those moments where you're like, what, like, how did that happen? Or we can't explain everything with science. And so for me, having the connection with that side of things um, is, is just really, really useful, you know? And do you think, like, have your have your clients found it helpful within the kind of, like, the bigger picture of their recoveries and, like, dropping into their purpose and kind of just yeah. expanding your mindset, I guess, and looking outwards That's instead it. of looking inwards? That's it. It's opening up. It's being more, you know, hopeful. It, it, it is that expansion, and it does. It's something that I think allows them to trust more. It's something that allows them to let go of so much control. It's, it really is about like expanding your mind, being open. And I think being connected to, to something that's a lot greater. And I think for all of us, that's so important. You know, that moment that you get from on top of a mountain or you're on an airplane and suddenly every, all your problems seem small. 
that for me is a way that spirituality can help all of us move forward right we get so stuck in the mundane and the everyday and then one day we're 80 years old and we're looking back and we're wondering what the hell happened we you know that's not what we were meant to do in this life we were meant to stay connected and present and that I believe is the bridge to be able to do that absolutely and I think like you know you said at the beginning that you the trip that you did to South America was like a big turning point for you and I think it's very cliche to say but I would say the same that when I went traveling that was when my recovery and my my healing kind of went um just skyrocket and I think it is that just the bigger perspective you're meeting different mm. people lots of coincidences of meeting people who literally live around the corner from me but on the other side of the world yeah. and um just like it just gives you that bigger outlook and you're like wow the world is so much bigger mm. than my body or my problems or what I've been through and actually that kind of joy and like oh this is what I can do now and tomorrow I can explore new places and meet new people and taste new foods and and that's something that should be celebrated and enjoyed and I think mm. when I came back from my travels I've always had just a different kind of perspective on myself exactly um, and I try and remind myself that I try and call it my Aussie attitude because it was when I was using in Australia. But I try and like, if I ever get myself caught up in just the mundane acts of work or career pressures or, you know, timelines that I put on myself, I turned 31 this year. And I'm like, oh, I still haven't got this job. Or I still haven't done this. Just to like go back into the Aussie mindset of actually, do you know what? It doesn't matter. The world is so much bigger. I put these boundaries or society puts these boundaries on me. Like they don't have to exist. Mm. Um, exactly. And I think you can collapse yeah, all of that. Yeah. And I think it's stepping back into that. I don't know. Traveling does that to you though, I, I think. It does. Like, yeah. It does. It's like to keep going away some places just to get into the travel mindset again. Um, yeah. Love that. So, Earlier, I did put up a little thing just to see if anyone had any questions for you. Um, And there were a few questions that popped up, mainly to do with body image and it being summer. And um, so I kind of grouped them all together. um, And the people just wanted to know your top tips on kind of managing summer season, minimal clothing and having body image issues. Um, Mm. So do you have any advice for those people? Yeah. So from like a very practical point of view, and then I'll go deep. Um, practicality wise, what's comfortable for you? What's comfortable for you? There is no point putting yourself in things that feel rubbish, that don't feel who you are. And you may think, I wish I could just wear the bikini or I wish I could wear the thing. And I want that for you. But if you're going to feel more comfortable in a swimsuit or a two piece or with a little cover up on, it's okay. Allow that to allow that to be there. If it's going to help you be present, if it's going to help you enjoy the summer, if it's going to allow you to do that. Other things you could do kind of in and around it, though, are, you know, again, getting grounded in the morning. So maybe doing some affirmations, some mirror work around gratitude for your body, around, you know, what it does for you, not what it looks like, you know, grounding and, you know, taking some deep breaths or moving your body in a way that makes you feel connected to it rather than hateful towards it. Mindful of what you take in. Are you engaging in a lot of social media or content that is around dieting, weight loss? perfected ideals are you participating in those conversations can you disengage and then a bit deeper than that I like I want you to think about yourself when you're 80 and you're looking back 
and you're thinking about the summer days that you missed out on and the experiences because you were stressed about your body. And I just want you to ask yourself if I could just show up a little bit differently, a little bit braver, if I could just allow that comfort to pass, discomfort to pass and go for it, how might that feel? You know, there's no one, my body image didn't change overnight, but I did have to make the decision to stop going to war with it. I had to make the decision to stop obsessing, to stop destroying myself with magazines and Instagram accounts or whatever it was at that point in my life that was harming me. I had to stop, um, you know, doing the things that were making it feel worse. And I had to start doing the things that were going to make it feel better, whether that was reading podcasts, the therapy, the coaching, the the mirror work. And you just have to be a bit relentless with it. You know, if you could say to yourself, if I commit to this summer being the one where I do the healing and I show up, then how might next summer feel? Um, I've got a few free resources. If you go into my LinkedIn bio, I've got a few body image um, workshops specifically around this. And I just did a self-image one a few weeks ago. And that is currently what I work with clients on. So if you're feeling really stuck, like just send me a message on Instagram and maybe we could see if any of those things could be of help to you. Um, but try those things and and just see how that how that helps you. Perfect. That's so good. The next question that came through was about managing barbecues and kind of buffets, or I guess this question's to do with the summer, but any event really where there's kind of a lot of food on offer and people are kind of managing how much to eat, or in particular in this question, was the the rights or wrongs around what to eat? Mm. So first of all, all all of this is you all of the fears, all of the what's wrong, what's right, none of it's wrong or right. So this is your invitation to look at your relationship with food and how it's kind of harming you really. So for example, it's quite a wide question, this one, but if your fear is that you go to a barbecue and you're going to binge maybe because that that's, that's your pattern. A few things you could do is make sure you've eaten enough that day. Uh, Know what foods are going to keep you feeling like harmonized and balanced and not triggered. Um, Manage, you know, alcohol, big trigger around things like food, manage that, drinking lots of water. If it's more restrictive, um, you can definitely use it as a chance to challenge yourself. Um, Who's there? Like, have you got some safe people to kind of confide in if that gets difficult throughout the day? Um, and honestly, one of my biggest pieces of advice with this is how can you make these events not about the food? Food is a part of it. If it's really going to stress you out and you can't do it, just eat before you go and then show up socially. Because also I think there's an, there's a point where in our recovery, the more you make it about the food, the more it's about the food. Why are you going to that barbecue? Who's it for? Who do you want to connect with? How do you want to feel? You know, what's the social aspect? How can that be your focus rather than food being the driving force? It's like a bit of a shift in energy around it. Um, I think that is probably one of the most useful things that that my clients have found um, to actually create the change and how that feels for them. Definitely. I really like that. Is that kind of like...
I'm really interested in the events and the things that you run because you do so much work within this kind of arena and it's yeah. like I said before it's really positive work and it's really authentic thank you um would you like to say anything about what you've got coming up yeah definitely so yeah if you're Brighton or sort of London Surrey based Brighton moon circles once a month the next one's Wednesday the 5th so depending when this comes out you might have missed it but they're every month so the next one will be in August beginning of the month and um, yeah, I, I talked a little bit about this at the end of the episode, but just like a woman's circle is really just a space to come and share, have space held for you, do some journaling, release what's not serving you, meet some other people and just have a really beautiful evening. So that's a really nice way and a place to start. And if anyone is wanting to have like one-to-one -one coaching with you, I will also put your, your links and stuff into the bio so people can just go on there. Yes. As I... Yeah, so one-to-one -one coaching at the moment also integrates in-person stuff. So over the summer, if you work with me, I also offer like an in-person day coaching session. And then you also can come to the Moon Circles and stuff as well. So they're my two main arenas at the moment. Um, I am doing a few festivals. So if anyone's at Conscious Roots Festival, I'll be there. Um, so yeah, there's a few things like that that you can also come to as well. Oh, exciting. Um, and the last thing I always ask is just, um, I always ask a question to do with recovery. But for you, like, what would you say if anyone is listening to this podcast today and they're kind of in the depths of their eating disorder and they're really struggling to make a change, what would be your top three pieces of advice for them? Hmm. I know it's hard, but the longer you put it off, the worse it gets. That's the truth. The more ingrained the harder it is to heal. The earlier you can start, the better. So please do not ignore it. There are so many people that I get on a call and the fear takes over and they don't make the change and then they come back and they say, I wish I'd started working with you six months ago. I wish I'd done this sooner. I wish I'd just booked in the call, listened to the podcast. Whatever it is, just start because you will suffer for a lot longer. Um. It's not, a, it's not a straight line, but neither's life. The thing with an eating disorder recovery is, I think when I recovered, I thought my life would be easy and I'd be invincible. My life hand in the last 18 months has been some of the most challenging I have ever experienced. And the resilience that I've got from that process has helped. And you can do life without your food being the thing to control it. You can do life without your body being the way to control everything going wrong like you have that strength within you but you won't know it until you're doing it and I think it will give you so much strength 
thirdly, if the eating disorder didn't exist, what would you be doing? How would you be living? Where would you go? What would you do? Your purpose, my biggest thing, pain into purpose. How can you drive that pain into purpose, into the bigger picture, into change? And that will really help motivate you to keep going because you will see that the world is so much bigger than you and so much bigger than than that disorder. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Definitely. Thank you so much for joining me today, Laura. It's Welcome. been an absolute privilege to talk to you and hear about everything you do and for you Thank to share you. your story. Thank you for that. Thank you for having me. It's been beautiful. You're so welcome. And Thanks. yeah, I'll put all the links to Laura in the show notes. Great. Please do head over there, guys. Dude. And if you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like because it really supports the free content I provide for you. Well, Thanks, thank babe. You.